0: Day 31 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. last day of our first month through the Bible. And today we are in Exodus chapters four through six, where God calls Moses to get your people up out of Egypt and into the promised land. But before we begin, we do have a special announcement for those of you who love the heart check PDFs. I know there have been some people who have been waiting just to see if we would be able to bring in a discount of some sort. So we are going to be bundling all of the January heart checks and providing them at a discounted price. Not only that, But for those of you who have lovingly given your dollar every single day and you've been all in and you've been so gracious, we also have a special gift for you. So you will be receiving more information in our email. But another awesome thing that Holly has done is she has figured out how we can allow you to purchase the entire month at the beginning of the month so that you don't have to make daily purchases. So what we will be doing is giving you information in an email. You'll just have to download that one link, keep that link on file, and it will be active for you all month long to be able to download the heart checks every single day. And again, that also will be at a discounted price. But if you are the type of person who says, no, I want to stick to my dollar, I like the dollar, you can stick to the dollar as well. We will keep that open, especially for those who say, no, I only want it on certain days. So that's something new we are working on and keep your eyes peeled also for the announcement of a special heart dive pop-up shop that we are going to make available coming soon to you. We've got more information so stay tuned for that make sure you hit our notification bell if you want to be able to receive those video announcements also make sure you like this video if this has become part of your life you say i am a bible study friend so let's go ahead and pray and get into the word because there's lots of stuff coming out of this one today heavenly father we love you so much we just glorify you we honor you we sit here in humility today before your goodness thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that is new to us every single morning when we wake up and we breathe in that first breath of fresh air. Lord, we are breathing in your peace, your joy, your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness. And so we just pray, Lord, that that will be our attitude as we start our days. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. I pray, God, if there's anything that we need to fix, to correct, will you give us the strength to do so? Will you give us the know-how, what we need to do to make things right? Help us to forgive others who have come against us or hurt us, Lord. And I just pray that we will not hold other people captive, but we will not allow others to hold us captive either under that yoke of unforgiveness. And Lord, I pray that you will keep the enemy far from us. We know that anytime we start to dig into the word, we start to draw closer to you, he wants to be right there to try to derail us. So we resist that today and we do so by staying in your word, by remaining steadfast in this season. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that hope today that you are going to be with us even when he does come against us. I pray, Lord, that you will give us everything we need today in this specific reading, that you will help us to get out of the way, take away any attitudes or any thoughts, Lord, that might distract us from your truth. And I pray, Lord, that even through me today, that it will be only your truth that is spoken. Thank you, Lord, for using me as a vessel. And I'm just honored to be able to be here with all of these people to learn alongside them as a student so we're grateful for this time in this family lord i praise you and give it all back to you in jesus name amen all right starting off here in chapter four then moses answered but behold they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the lord didn't appear to you I circled that word, but, because that is probably one of the most annoying words to hear from a child. But, but, and it seems like that's what Moses is doing here. He's overly analyzing the situation and he's saying, but I can't do it. I mean, this is declaring his unbelief in his own ability. He's focusing on his weakness. So in a sense, it's like, Paralysis by analysis. He's looking like, I can't do any of that. And yet God is like, Listen, calm down. I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to give you everything you need. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. The staff being the instrument that he would use in his shepherding. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. I would too. I don't like snakes. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Which I'm no snake handler, but do you grab a snake by its tail? I thought you were supposed to grab it by its head if you wanted to control it. No, because if you grab it by its tail, it doesn't have the ability. It has to have ground to be able to turn around, right? Am I right? Can somebody tell me if you like reptiles? I don't like reptiles, so I don't know. Carry on. So, he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So, once again, reinstating that covenant nature of God. Again, the Lord said to him, "'Put your hand inside your cloak.' And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, "'Put your hand back inside your cloak.' So, he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, we will find out in the Bible that leprosy is typically a sign of sin. So, you can take that today and kind of meditate on what that means in this instant. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground, which that would symbolize judgment. Now, the question most people, Christian or not, will ask at some point in their lives is, what is my purpose? And we innately know that there is some reason that we are put on this earth, and everybody's always trying to find out what that is. And I believe our purpose is directly linked to our God-given gifts and abilities. So, instead of looking at what he had, Moses basically was more focused on his own weakness whenever he asked, how will I do this? And God's answer is so simple, yet so profound. He asked him, what's in your hand? And to me, this is twofold. You see, he's given us natural abilities. We organically know how to do certain things better than others, or we have a greater passion for certain things. I mean, I just told my husband this past week that it makes no sense to the natural world that I love waking up at 2 a.m. and studying for 12 hours. It wouldn't make sense for me in any other subject but the Word of God, but I love it. And some people are more artistic than others, or some love math, or some can work with their hands, or some people are way more organized than me, if you were to look at this mess on the side of me. But Moses was a shepherd, and he naturally had the ability to lead people. But on the other hand, literally, God wanted him to use the very things that he held in season. You see, we all have something before us in our hands right now that can be used for the glory of God. So heart check, what is in your hand? And if your answer to that question is, I don't know, or I still don't know my purpose, I encourage you to make a list of the things that you love to do. That's a start. Anything at all. And then look around and see what's in front of you from your job to your physical possessions to things that you have learned, and then pray over it. Ask the Lord to reveal to you what it is that He wants you to do with what is in your hand. And this alone will be so pleasing to the Father to see that your heart is set on assessing the burning bush in front of you. You see, this is the first step in hearing the call of God on your life. But then there's another side to this because some of us will hold so tightly to my purpose and my calling that we begin to lose sight that it's actually God's purpose and God's calling on our lives. And instead of living for Him, fully surrendered, we will instead live for everything and everyone else, our jobs, our families, and sometimes even ministry. And so there may come a time when God will call us to throw it down. You know, it happened to me when I was offered a morning news anchor position. And because I was putting that job before my marriage and before my family, I was forced to let it go. And it hurt. I mean, I thought my career came to an end, but of course it didn't. You See, God had a greater purpose, and He turned it for good, because I later saw that I was holding on to a snake, and it was about to bite me, and it taught me to never do that again. As much as I love y'all, I will not put this Bible study before my family, and that is why there will be delays sometimes. Because if my daughter needs help with homework in the morning, in the middle of my studying, this gets put to the side. Or if my husband wants to go on a lunch date in the middle of editing, I'm closing the keyboard and it hurts because I know that people will be disappointed and I won't be able to get ahead, but it's necessary. And I always trust that God will be there to say, now you can pick it up again. So heart check, is there anything in your life that you're holding so tightly to that needs to be thrown down? All right, that was a lot. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, "'O my Lord, I am not eloquent, "'either in the past or since you have spoken "'to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue.'" And you know who else felt this way was one of the greatest evangelists of all times, D.L. Moody. Some of you all might have his commentary. I have it on my bookshelf. He apparently wasn't the greatest speaker. And so there's this story about a time when a woman came up to him after one of his sermons. And she said, Mr. Moody, great message, but you made 18 grammatical errors. And his reply is the best. He said, ma'am, I'm using all the grammar I got for the Lord. What are you doing with yours? And I was like, drop the mic. You see, God doesn't make mistakes. We do, but it's always for His glory. So before we go at somebody and try to critique them or correct them, we might want to ask ourselves, what are we doing with all of this knowledge that we're coming at them with? Are we only using it to critique somebody and to correct? Are we actually using it for good? And I only say this because I used to have a very critical spirit. Verse 11, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. So God's anger was righteous. I mean, he's getting a little bit annoyed with Moses's, I can't do this. Don't pick me. I am not worthy. I don't have all the things because he's like, listen, I got all the things. I'm going to give you everything you need. But thank God he doesn't give up on him because God's gifts and calling are without repentance. He doesn't take them back unless we walk away from it. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. Okay. What does this mean? I know this probably trips some people up. All God is saying is that God is going to give the words to Moses. Moses is going to give the words to Aaron. So Aaron is going to be like the prophet For Moses, because Moses is the prophet to God. So it's not that Moses becomes a God or God at all, but he is the one who will direct Aaron what to say. So it's almost as if Moses is the news director and Aaron's the reporter. Verse 17, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt. So, the fact that he is asking his father-in-law goes to show that he is under his authority, and this is full humility and submission and honor on behalf of Moses. I mean, he's 80 years old at this point, yet he's still asking for permission. So, really great character in Moses to take note of. So, he's saying, Please let me go back in order to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said said to Moses, in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So in a sense, he has outlived all of the ones who were against him. And this encouraged me so much that, you know, anytime someone comes against you, just keep your head down, stay focused on the task at hand, just keep moving forward, just keep working. And when you do, you will outlast the critics because the fruit of the spirit and the power of God and the presence of God will always survive any undue attack. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Now, notice that sons was plural. We only heard about Gershon, but we will hear of the birth of Eliezer in chapter 18. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. So he has given him authority, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So here we see the prophetic, of what will happen in the 10th plague. Now, a lot of people will ask the question, why does God harden the heart of Pharaoh? Well, God knows the future, right? We know that he already is aware that Pharaoh is going to harden his own heart, especially in the first five plagues. And then the Bible says that God hardens his heart on the sixth plague. But what we have to trust is that it is all for his great purpose. He knows what he's doing. Who are we to question the mind of God? We don't know what his thoughts are. We just know that they are far greater and higher. Higher than our own. And John Corson said it this way He said, If you persist in hardening your heart against God, He will eventually agree with you. Because as we learned in Genesis, His spirit will not always strive with man, especially the one who is resisting Him constantly. Verse 24 At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So here we see the bitterness of Zipporah. And I had so many questions here. First of all, why is God wanting to put Moses to death? I'm assuming it's because of his disobedience of not circumcising his son. But then I asked, well, why didn't he circumcise his son? And that led to me asking, and why is Zipporah having to do it here in the end? I mean, did they not circumcise him because of the fact that Zipporah is a Midianite? I mean, they typically would circumcise right before marriage, so they didn't do it for the infants. Was Moses too preoccupied with what he was having to do? Perhaps he didn't value it, because remember, he grew up in Egypt. So, even though he knew his God, maybe he didn't know how much value the covenant held for him. And why did Zipporah end up doing it? Was it because Moses was struck down ill at this point? And that's where we got this idea that the Lord sought to put him to death? I mean, was he kind of on his deathbed at this point? Taking all of those questions away, we know that he needed to circumcise his son. It was part of the covenant. Not circumcising his children would have been showing that he was not taking part in that covenant. In a sense, it was like apostasy and an act of compromise that needed to be dealt with before God could move him forward. So that got taken care of. And here in verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. So Moses and Aaron obeyed and the people listened. But things will change here in chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, so they're being obedient in what God told them to do. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, someone raised the question saying, why would God have them lie? I don't believe God was having them lie. I believe that He was intending for them to go into the wilderness and worship, and He was using that worship as a means of escape. God is not a liar, so I will never try to prove Him to be a liar. That's why I would never say, is God lying here? Because... Plain and simple, I never believe that God is a lie. So, where there is a contradiction in the Bible, I will always look for a way to prove it to be truth or to prove it to be right, because that is faith. Either we're going to choose to have faith or we're not to me, this was honesty, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? So remember, Pharaoh thinks that he is a God. I mean, they worship many gods there. So I said, well, does he actually know the Lord or is he being a little defiant here? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, Pharaoh clearly has zero intention to obey God. And therefore he never will truly know him because God isn't going to force himself into our inbox. I mean, he's going to send one email with several notes notifications. And then if we ignore it, he's not going to keep on spamming us. And many of us will say, well, God isn't speaking to me, or I don't know what God wants me to do. And all the while, God's up there like, open the email I sent you back in 2016. Then we can talk some more. So heart check. Have you checked your spiritual inbox lately? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Verse 3 Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many. "'and you make them rest from their burdens. "'The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters "'of the people and their foremen, "'You shall no longer give the people straw "'to make bricks as in the past. "'Let them go and gather straw for themselves. "'But the number of the bricks that they made in the past, "'you shall impose on them, "'and you shall by no means reduce it, "'for they are idle.'" So he's basically saying they got too much free time on their hands, we need them to work more and to work harder. And it is said that the amount of bricks that they would be required to make in a year would have been enough to create a wall that was 10 feet tall, five feet deep, and would span the entire United States of America. That's a lot of bricks for them to now go searching for their own straw, which was required for them to make the bricks. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So he is saying that their words are vain. In other words, this worship that they want to do is a waste of time. You see, Pharaoh is declaring that his tasks and time are far more valuable than their desire to worship. And we see this mindset today. You know, our accountant, he always tells us, you're giving too much to the church. You're wasting your money. Or the world will convince us that we shouldn't waste our time on anything or anyone other than ourselves. And so, then we get annoyed when the worship set is too long or when there's three minutes of announcements before Bible study. I know who you guys are because you're the ones asking the questions that I answer in the announcements, (laughs) or will complain that the message needs to be cut to 30 minutes instead of an hour because we don't have time. But the funny thing is, we all have the same amount of time in the day as everybody else. Some of us just value and will prioritize worship over all other things, and they will relish in the one hour that God gives to them to spend with Him out of 24. So heart check. How much time do you spend in devotion to God before it feels like a waste? Now listen, I'm not cutting down anybody who genuinely is busy, who is working two jobs, who's got five kids. Like I'm not trying to diminish what you're doing with your time. I'm speaking more about the attitude of our hearts and the way that we view worship, because I know there are plenty of hardworking mamas and papas out there. Definitely not trying to criticize that. All right. So verse 10, the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for the straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there were straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh. And I'm like, wrong person to be crying to. Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same amount of bricks." And the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So here we see Moses feeling a little bit reluctant to have taken on this task and to have been obedient to God because things are not happening in the way that he expected them to. They're not happening as quickly as he probably had hoped. Chapter six, but the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. So this is actually a positive. It's not like now you're going to see, you know, he's actually saying, okay, now's the time. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And even though this is referring to Pharaoh's hand, it will still actually be controlled by the mighty hand of God. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, "'I am the Lord. "'I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob "'as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, "'I did not make myself known to them.'" So they knew the name of Yahweh, yet they didn't have this intimate relationship with God the way that Moses does here. "'I also established my covenant with them "'to give them the land of Canaan, "'the land in which they lived as sojourners,' meaning they have no ownership or they are living as resident aliens." "'Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, "'whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, "'and I have remembered my covenant. "'Say therefore to the people of Israel, "'I am the Lord, and I will bring you up out "'from under the burdens of the Egyptians, "'and I will deliver you from slavery to them, "'and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm "'and with great acts of judgment.' I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So, this whole section is our redemption story of salvation, and some people will look at Christianity and they think that we're living in bondage or under the yoke of slavery, disguised behind religion and a whole bunch of laws and instructions of things we cannot do. Yet we know that our lives in Christ will experience far more freedom than we would without His salvation, and not only for this life, but for eternity. Because when we truly live our lives surrendered to Christ, we're no longer held down by the desires that once tugged at our soul. You see, something changes within us, and if it hasn't, we need to look at that thing and whether or not we have truly surrendered it. So, are you still living in bondage to something? Have you surrendered it to God? Verse 10, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. So he's desiring for Moses to be persistent here. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. So before he was saying that he was not eloquent, and then God gave him the answer to that, gave him Aaron. So now he's changing his story and saying, I am of uncircumcised lips, meaning I am uncircumcised clean, or I am unworthy of this task. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And now we'll take a little interlude here or a pause for the genealogy of Moses and Aaron, which, by the way, this is where all of Israel's priests will come from. And this is sort of serving like an ID badge. I mean, this little section here basically puts their stamp of approval on their authority. So these are the heads of the father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to the generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Malai, and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. So this is where we saw the parents of Moses. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab and sister of Nation. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. Verse 26, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to the favor of the king of Egypt about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. Now on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So, this is his seventh protest. I mean, can you imagine being Moses charged by God to do a task only to see what seems to be a failed result? You know, that people had a broken spirit, they're no longer listening to him. And sometimes we will be called to do something and we will see very little change on the other side, yet we aren't called to be the ones who change things. We are simply called to be faithful. To the one who will do the changing. And a good leader will be one who persists in the face of a setback. So, heart check. How persistent is your faith? How quickly do you give up on God when you don't see results? So again, in the end, Moses is feeling pretty bulldozed at this point. And I get it. I mean, even within this ministry, there is so much that goes on in the back end that no one sees, especially as we're planning for the future and where God is going to take this. But God's reassurance here gives me so much hope that anytime He is leading you into something, He will, little by little, give you everything you need just at the right time. He's controlling it all. So, we just hold on, knowing that the I Am, Emmanuel, is here with us. So, let's take a look at some deep dive questions. Was Moses more concerned with his lack of ability, or did he actually have a lack of willingness— Can you relate to his doubts and fears? How might one overcome them? Why did God still choose Moses? Do you believe Pharaoh truly didn't know God or was he simply being defiant? Were the Israelites justified in blaming Moses for Pharaoh's cruelty? Was Moses justified in questioning God? And how do you deal with someone whose spirit is broken? So we thank you so much, Lord, for your promise to never leave us. The moment we believe in your I wills and receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we too are under a covenant with you. We know that we are no longer under the bondage we once were, and we have the freedom to do whatever we want, yet our spirit is being transformed into the likeness of you. And so what we once desired, we no longer do. But there are some things, Lord, that we still deal with that need to be fully surrendered with all ties severed, some of them because we refuse to let go, but others because they refuse to let go of us. We know that we have the authority to break that bond, and so we declare today that we are set free. I thank you, Lord, for giving us all the proof we need that your power and your presence is still as evident today as it was to Moses. I pray that our lives will be a living testimony of that by taking the gifts and the talents, the abilities, the possessions, and using them all for your glory. Where something may be out of order, God, I pray that you will help us to see it and throw it down before it turns around to bite us. We know that when we act out of obedience to you, even if it's something we love, that in due time, you will have us pick it up again as if it was in your perfect timing, knowing that it is in your will. So I pray that we can trust in that. And I thank you for taking our leprous lives full of sin and covering it by your blood, allowing us to come out fully restored and made new. I pray that where others may have once seen a decrepit failing hand, they will now see a new creation. May we reflect your glory in everything we do so that we will not subject ourselves or anyone else to your judgment. I pray that you will help us to focus more on strengths and less on weaknesses of both ourselves and others. Where we feel the need to point out others' errors, Lord, I pray that we will first check ourselves and where we may be faltering or failing to do good. Thank you for never giving up on us, as many times as we doubt ourselves or even doubt you. Forgive us, Lord, for where we have done that, and help us to see that when you call us into something and when we obey, you will give us everything we need to be able to handle it. Even when we come face to face with the enemy or even in the midst of a storm, you will still be there holding us up and defending us. Help us to keep our heads down and moving forward rather than being tossed about by the ever-changing winds of life. We know that if we do that, we will outlast the ones who are trying to take us out. And may we never consider time with you or the work that we do as a burden or a waste. I pray that we will be more considerate of others' time and their efforts that they are putting forth, and help us to see beyond our own selfishness and what we view as worthy of our attention. Help us not to be like Pharaoh and think that we could be doing something better. And I pray that we will be ever so trusting in your timing, in all things, knowing that it is perfect. When we don't see immediate results, I pray that we will dig our heels in a little bit deeper and continue pressing in for we know that you are about to break through. So we thank you for that. We believe in it today and we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us, and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing. And there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die, but I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real, and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that He died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.